2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount
1: using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement. Due $35 per line connection charge apply. CT Mobile.com. This hour is being brought to you by EOC Audio. They make today's home technology simple. Check them out at EOCAudio.com. Ray,
2: let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670, the score.
1: First
3: shot, let's go, man! Jason Leisure. I'm here in the studio at the score. This is a very, very special honor for
2: you. Co-host of the Sports Adjacent Podcast.
3: I don't really like doing the radio, man. Yes. I don't like doing sports radio like the typical. That's why I've wanted to be on your show, because your show is, uh, what's
1: the word for it? Interesting.
2: His takes will leave you speechless. It feels like there is some hateration and holleration
1: in this dance because I do feel like mm. Jason
3: and, and Tony, there's a little bit of hate there. I'm not sure what holleration means. I'll uh, just be upfront with that. <laughs> I can figure out hateration. I'm not sure about a holleration.
2: Jason Leisure on the Lawrence Holmes Show on the score.
1: Jason Leisure joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. You can check him out on the Sports Jason podcast, where last week I thought you guys had a really wonderful conversation, Mr. Leisure, about growing up in the business. And it was great to to hear the three of you all talking about these things where it's it's like sure you have maybe a a vaulted name or rec- recognizable name but some of those times you were going back to to worse cars than the the high school players that you were covering right <laughs>
3: yeah Yeah, everybody loves that story of the time I pulled into a high school, back when I was covering high school football in South Florida, and a student at the school recognized me and was awestruck, starstruck by me. Oh, oh, Jason Leisure. And then immediately as I'm getting out of my Honda Civic, he goes, I thought you'd be driving a way nicer car than that. (laughs) It's the truth. And it's, so, it's so true, though. A lot of times these positions are highly visible, high profile, but they're not highly paid, and you have to make some sacrifices to do that. And that, honestly, man, that's still the case. Like, I'm 38 years old. Uh, I have a family, and this is not the same kind of money that I would make as a corporate attorney or uh, some kind of surgeon or dentist. Like the, you, you make choices in life. And for me, I made that choice when I was in college that I I originally went to college to study law and decided that this is going to be more enjoyable. I'm going to like going to this every day, uh, much more so than uh, any other job, I think. And while this usually is not going to make you rich in the way some of those other careers will, the quality of life is going to be worth it for me. And I'm glad I did. I have no regrets about this.
1: Okay, good. I was going to ask you if you still enjoy it. I do. I do. And
3: I've hit a point in my career now where I'm comfortable enough. Like, I'm not living in a, you know, one bedroom behind the main house uh, apartment in West Palm Beach and having my four-year-old niece come in and ask me, is this all the house you have? That was hilarious. I'm a little more comfortable than that, and I still like going to work. I mean, it, I don't know if anyone – there probably are people, and I'd like to hear from them too. I, I, but I don't know if everybody like still has the same love of something 16 years in or however far along I'm in now as they do when they first start. But I still like going in. I still like – I'm never sitting there like, yeah, oh, I can't believe – you know, Monday mornings rolling around and I got to drag myself into work. Like I still like doing it. And I think you do too. I think you have the same thing where like, there are hard things about our jobs that really nobody ever wants to hear. Right. Cause everybody thinks you have just the greatest job in the world and they don't realize like, it's still you know, a job. Uh, like
1: there's like, still it, a lot
3: of BS with your jobs and there's still a lot of things, hassles and frustrations and things you got to deal with. But in general, I am happy going to work and that, has been totally worth
1: it. Yeah, I loved hearing you guys talk about it. And you're right; like it's it's a great job, but it's still a job. And and those are things that you have to to keep in mind. And everything comes with it's it's all relative. Like everything has its own landmines and everything else that you're you're trying to navigate on a on a day to day basis. So it, it's it was a really illuminating conversation. And then you guys, of course, drifted into the ridiculous and the silly, which is the beauty of the sports adjacent podcast. You guys going 40 minutes and, and really talking seriously and Tony talking about you know the sacrifices that he made and, and how he was lucky and how he feels like he has to do it for all the people that couldn't hang on and, and make those sacrifices anymore. And then, of course, the Drake story comes up and you guys start talking about Russ being petty and putting women on flights. So th- that's the great thing about the Sports Adjacent <laughs> Podcast. You can find all sorts of stuff in it that you can relate to when you call covered college football, how, hmm. how bad did the, the chatter between coaches of this coach is cheating and this team is cheating. How bad did that get? Did you hear any of that when you were covering Florida?
3: Oh, absolutely, man. And it was one of the more entertaining parts of that job. Like I, there was nothing better than, and I, I think it's coming up like in a couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a long time since I covered the SEC. But there's nothing better than the SEC spring meeting in Destin, Florida. At least that's where it was at the time. It would be at the end of May every year, and you'd go there, and all the college football coaches would converge. And, oh, everyone's so chummy until they're not. And then it starts getting into debating different rules and scheduling. And our schedule's not fair because we have to play LSU, but you get to play Kentucky. And, like, all the little infighting starts. So I'm not surprised ever to see that in college football, like what we're seeing right now between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. But I am especially not surprised to see it in the SEC. The SEC is like the epicenter of that, of that kind of sniping. And it's probably Lawrence because it's so high stakes there. It's not as high stakes anywhere else. It's not as competitive anywhere else as it is in the SEC. And just one more thing, if I can be self-indulgent, that was Please. the coolest thing Coolest thing about the job to me, I was like 26 and hadn't grown up here. So it was not really, it, this is not a big college football area. I did not grow up watching college football very much or being really into college football. Like there was one year, I think Illinois went to the Rose Bowl when I was in high school and we were like, oh, that's kind of cool. Isn't that weird? And uh, then we moved on with our lives. To get my first big break, my first big job, and have it be covering college football and covering it in the SEC was amazing. It, going on this tour for three or four years, whatever it was for me, of watching, of covering Florida play in all these different places like Alabama and Texas AM and Knoxville and all, it was awesome. It was just like, you, you, you it is the maximum college football experience you can get.
1: What was the moment when you realized how different college football is down there versus here?
3: It was the meetings, actually. Now that I think about it, it was the meetings because the meetings, or maybe you know what it actually was? It was the media day. They, so they have media day every year, and in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, where all the all the teams and uh, all the coaches and a couple of players from each team. I mean, it's probably gotten even bigger now than it was when I covered it. Yeah, it's it's, it's now go-
1: plural. It's media days plural, and it's going to be in Atlanta this year. <laughs>
3: Birmingham's not big enough. Nope. Um, it was unbelievable to see the spectacle that it was. And I'm, this for me was probably 10 years ago, maybe even more. Uh, it was unbelievable to see what a spectacle it was just to have media days. Just that, that they needed to rent out an entire hotel in Birmingham, Alabama for this. And it was even at that point, I think it was a multi-day event and the live coverage of it, the amount of media there, uh, the insanity of, the fans, although if I even go back before that, Lawrence, I, I have had a kind of a, a weird, like kind of nonlinear start to my career where I actually, the very first thing I was covering was the Miami dolphins when Nick Saban was the coach there. And at the end of that year, there were all, there was all this rumor, all this speculation that he was going to Alabama and of all people for the newspaper to send, they sent me to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which I thought this is incredible. Like this is the best internship ever. So I'm in, I'm in at the small, um, I guess it's private airport. You can't fly southwest, I don't think, into Tuscaloosa. I'm at the Tuscaloosa airport covering this, waiting for Nick Saban to get in. And it was like the Alabama fans were there, too. They were like tailgating it. They were, they were cooking out and doing chants and singing songs. And uh, just that kind of insanity is not happening at Northern Illinois, I don't think.
1: No, even though North Illinois has had a really good football program for about 15 years, none of that stuff is is going to happen for sure. Well, the professional football team that you cover has gotten back to work a little bit. Is there anything interesting that's happening in House Hall? Uh,
3: it depends on what perspective you have. Uh, it's interesting for me because... No matter what anybody wants to say, you're still learning and getting to know Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus and Alan Williams and Luke Getze. You're still trying to figure them out. And particularly Matt Eberflus now, you know, talking to him once a week in these press conferences, I'm trying to get a feel for how he's going to be with us, which in turn is how he's going to be with everybody listening to this, with uh, the public at large. And uh, I'm I'm finding him to be a little frustrating so far with uh, just not really wanting to give us a lot on on pretty much anything you ask. If you ask about any specific player, you're just really not getting a lot from him. Even guys that should be really easy to talk about, like Jalen Johnson, for example. I mean, and this goes back to when we were at the combine with him. And we're like, hey, Matt, you know, who are some guys on the current roster, guys you have under contract that you've inherited that you really like, that you're really happy to have? And he's like, oh, I don't want to get into names. It's like, come on, man. Wow. Like, how hard would it be to say, I'm glad I walked into this job and Jalen Johnson's here. Like, there's one problem solved. Or I'm glad I walked into this job and I got Roquan Smith as my kind of, like, vice president of the defense here, like my partner in this, as much as Justin Fields is in a partnership with Luke Getzey to run the offense, that's what Roquan Smith is in this defense. I mean, barely even getting any of that at this point. So I hope this is Matt Eberflus's first head coaching job. I hope that over time he's going to expand what he's willing to say and how much he's willing to open up and see that there is quite a bit of room. There's quite a bit of margin before you start getting into revealing things that are really detrimental to you to reveal.
1: Yeah, it's it, I I want to give him a little bit of grace just because making that jump from coordinator to head coach and all of the media responsibilities that go along with being a head coach versus a coordinator are different. But this is the t- like I, I, maybe he's not selling his team to us because he doesn't have a lot of belief in in what this collection of talent can do. I am curious, though, when they talk about Justin Fields, like now that we've gotten a chance to get to know the offensive staff a little bit more, what are they saying about what they see and what they want to see?
3: Well, they're saying a lot about how well he is picking up the offense and incorporating that and being able to lead the offense in this new scheme. and. I think what they just want to see is sound decision-making from him, that he is seeing the open receivers and making the quick move to them. And we're in OTAs right now. I mean, this is not live action. Once we get into the season, even into preseason or whatever, uh, and you have him behind that offensive line and with those wide receivers, you got a lot of questions whether that offensive line can buy him time and whether those receivers can get open for him and provide those windows. It's harder to make good decisions when you don't have very good options or much time to find those options. So that part of it's got to hold up, but they like what they see so far. They're they're not making any bold proclamations about him or anything like that. And that maybe that goes back to Matt reflux, not really wanting to gush and rave about individual players, even though there are guys there that he should be talking like that about I think he kind of wants these guys to feel like they got to win him over like they need to make their case and then nobody is starting out with their case already made and with him already impressed
1: what do you think about what became the national kind of conversation about the Bears and Justin Fields and Justin Fields being failed by the Bears
3: failed by the bears last year
1: or this year This year's particularly this draft like that that became like a thing this week that was being discussed there's a very long piece on on football outsiders about it like the, people were talking about this and I was just wondering like like to me I was like when the story was presented to me I was like it's may like I I don't know if he's been failed by this new administration I, cuz I still think I still think back to what you wrote And I still think about the the roster cleanup that has to go on with this team. So while, yes, I understand people's frustration that there weren't more offensive players taken earlier, I I still don't know if I'm ready to damn this organization and say that they haven't done right by Justin Fields yet.
3: Yeah, I don't have a problem with Ryan Poles' draft picks either way because – those were needs that really needed to be addressed. Corner and probably safety, in the long term. So, especially corner. Like, I mean, you can't argue with him picking a cornerback and saying, "Wow, we really need to plug the leak on this one." Um, as far as the collective off season, that's the part of Ryan Poles' plan that I'm not really sold on. Um, and he maybe he's right, and and you know you and me and. Football Outsiders and Twitter, maybe we're all, maybe we're all wrong. But I, I understand his lens of saying, hey, 2023 is when this really starts. Everything's got to be about 2023. So we do the demolition now that needs to be done financially. We put, our, we, we put the Bears in the best possible position for 2023 to really start building. I would say the flaw in that plan is you've got to give Justin Fields resources right now right now it could be very detrimental to his career in my opinion if he goes this whole year running for his life in the backfield and not having open receivers I don't think someone at his stage is just impervious to that career-wise in the big picture the way a veteran quarterback would be if Aaron Rodgers has to go through a year where he's got no offensive line and no wide receivers that he can count on to get open or not enough wide receivers that he can count on to get open. He's going to be okay. He's going to have a hard year, but it's not going to like ruin him. A young quarterback, especially Justin Fields, has not been able to prove anything yet because of all the dysfunction from last year. It could really be a setback for him. And I think that if you wanted to sell off the entire defense, fine. With an eye on 2023, but not adding significant help in my opinion on the line or at wide receiver that's problematic. Now, Ryan Poles would say, I, I'm smarter than you. I brought in Lucas Patrick. I'm going to bring somebody in at right guard. I know about Byron Pringle because I came from the Chiefs. I know about Equinemius St. Brown because our offensive coordinator coach from in Green Bay, maybe he'll be right. But that takes a leap of faith right now for me.
1: And the evaluation process on fields, I think, is is – that's where I do think people are completely right, where – it's going to be more difficult to figure out whether or not he's good. And I know that there are those moments when you can say a, a quarterback is more than the players that are around him, but, but trying to figure that out without giving him resources is going to be difficult. Now they might look at it as like you said, we'll, we'll give him the resources in 2023 and, and we still have plenty of time because he's on a rookie deal to figure out if he's the guy. And I can't figure out where our own rush to know whether he's the guy plays a role in how we look at how their offseason has gone.
3: Yeah, it does. I mean, we want to open this Christmas present, and I don't think you did. Yeah, I don't think you got to last year. I, I think Justin Fields is good, but the key word in that sentence is "think." I think he's good. I don't know that he's good. I don't know how anybody could know that he's good off last year. And most of that is not his fault. He was put in a terrible position. He had so many things working against him in that case. But I think that the bears need to treat him like a franchise quarterback in order to find out if he is a franchise quarterback. And to me, it doesn't really matter if the bears go five and 12 this year that you, that doesn't, that's not really all that relevant toward the big picture plans it does matter if justin fields misses time with an injury because he's getting hit or if justin fields can't really get the opportunity to establish a rhythm and really show his talent and show you what he can do because of personnel deficiencies around him that would be a problem that is problematic even if you're looking at 2023 as the priority
1: well, Mr. Leisure, I appreciate the time and the information as per usual. Looking forward to this week's Sports Adjacent podcast, which is out right now. People can check it out, and they can, whether you're on Apple or if you're on Spotify, is right there for you. Sports Adjacent with Jason Leisure, Jerry Russ Dorsey, and Tony Gill. <laughs> Sir, have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Lawrence. That is Jason Leisure of the Sun-Times. He covers the Bears for them. Can I just tell you that it's weird for me to as someone who programs this show along with Ray trying to figure out exactly how much Bears coverage we should do right now is difficult. Like cuz I don't know if there's anything that we can find out. Like I'm I'm a big proponent of this even when I was covering the Bears on a daily basis. I'm not sure what any of us can tell you folks that are at OTAs r- r- looking at routes on air guys that are not even wearing shoulder pads at this point. And once we get to to, to training camp, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we should be talking about them when it was presented to me that oh, you know, there's this big story about this is a big opinion piece about Justin Fields and, how the Bears have failed. I'm like, it's May. You might be right. I may be crazy, but I would I would like to get to at least August. Is that fair? Before at least like at the like the very minimum. So I'm I'm struggling because I know that people want their Bears content, but I'm like. I don't know if there's anything out there for you at this point. I'm not sure. I do know that there is Bulls scuttlebutt, and I'm going to talk about that with Sean Heiken. He's going to join me next here on The Score.
2: Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2, on Sports Radio 670, The Score, the score, the score. and 670thescore.com, in Odyssey oh, Station. Station Station.
1: Is your sense that it was the, the bone bruise that has been doing that,
2: as opposed to the meniscus contributing to
1: that? Um, I'm not a doctor, I'm not really sure. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of both, but I, I'm not sure. Like I said, just I gotta
0: figure out whatever I gotta do, you know, to, to get my knee right. This, to be clear, the bone bruise is in the knee as well, correct? Yeah, the bone bruise is also there. And would you consider you going to visit a specialist? Do you know if you might need to have another procedure? Um, I'm not sure, hopefully not. You know, I wouldn't want to have another
1: one,
2: but if that's what it takes, then I pretty much have no choice at this point.
1: Lonzo Ball back in April talking about why he didn't play and kind of where things stand. It's It's been an interesting road already in this offseason with the Bulls. And there's worry that things are worse off for Lonzo than maybe we thought back in February and March. His dad was on with the Catman on Unfiltered and says, Lonzo, be ready to go and... Zach Levine won't be playing for the Bulls next year. So we're now in the place where LeVar is back into, into the news cycle. So I thought I would talk with my friend, Sean Hyken, who covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. He does a great job doing that. And ask him some questions about the Bulls and the NBA. He joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circus Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Mr. Hyken, how are you, sir?
2: I'm good, buddy. It's good to talk to you, man.
1: Man, I'm glad that you are at least getting today an opportunity to be in the city where the the weather is warm and you get to enjoy yourself a, a, a little bit. Well, first off, what did you take away from the bull season that they had?
2: I think you have to look at it as, and I know it, it didn't end the way that anybody wanted it to, with the first, you know, the quick first round exit against the Bucks and. Kind of a slide that they had towards the end of uh, the season, you know, after January when they were the best team in the league or in the East at least. But considering where they've been over the last five years since they traded Jimmy Butler and decided to rebuild, and that it's only a couple years into this new regime, this new front office uh, group with Arturis and Eversley, you the, the thing that I think a lot of fans have trouble with just from a timeline standpoint is in a lot of cases, unless it's a situation where like the Cavs are terrible and then LeBron decides to go back there, you have to, if you're, if you're coming from not being good, you have to get to be decent and respectable before you can be great. So I think that the bulls at least achieved that part where now they're back to being relevant and having credibility and, How they get to that next level, that's going to be something that, I I mean, they're in kind of a tricky spot with you know their roster and their salary cap situation. But they're at least, I think, in a better place now than they were a year ago.
1: Do you think that Bulls fans should be worried about Lonzo Ball not returning before the season ended?
2: I think you have to be worried about it just in the sense of you look at his entire career, and he has not really had that much luck when it comes to injuries. He's had knee surgeries before. I think the most healthy season that he had was uh, the nineteen twenty season, which was the season that was shut down due to COVID. I think he played in just about every game in that season. But other than that, you know, he has missed games a lot over his career. He, you know, he's had a lot of different injuries, and this year was no different. As far as some of the stuff that's been coming out lately, I'm not sure how much real new development there is. Uh, in that in that sense, as far as. Uh, what's going on with the knee, from what everything it sounds like, from everything I've read and from that clip of him and KC that you just played before you brought me on, it sounds like the meniscus surgery that he had, that was the injury that actually kept him out for the six to eight weeks, that went fine, and that healed up fine. It's just this bone bruise that's kind of still lingering, and that's the kind of injury that the only real way to treat that is for him to to rest on it and not do anything on it. And, you know, they, there's really not a science to how that kind of stuff heals or how quickly, you know, that's going to get better. So I think, yes, I mean, should Bulls fans be concerned that it isn't healing as quickly as they maybe thought it would? Yes, but I also don't think that there's been any new developments that are catastrophic with it. So, we really won't know until training camp. If, if he's still out or still limited by training camp, then yeah, you should be very worried. But there's still a long time before that, and hopefully since it's a bone bruise is something you can only treat by resting and not by having surgery, then I think the hope is that everything is going to be okay by the next few months once training camp starts.
1: When you're watching the Bulls, what do you think they're missing?
2: They need more... Two-way players. And I know this is something that Cody has said a million times when he's been on with you, but when you look at uh, so so that that kind of the differentiation point, like kind of the, the the point of like when everything turned was in the middle of January when Lonzo went out with his surgery, and then also Alex Caruso had his injury. Up until then, they were a top. I think I don't know quite top ten, but top eleven, top twelve defense in the league. So at least top half of the league, which is pretty good considering like the personnel that they have. And then after those two guys went out for the rest of the season, they were bottom five. And the teams that were behind them in defense were teams like Portland and Houston that were actively trying to lose games. So you can't have a situation. And I know that Lonzo and Caruso are both very important to their defense, but you can't have a situation where two guys go down and then your defense goes from top half of the league to literally the worst in the league out of teams that are actually trying to be good. So they need to get more players, whether that be in free agency or in trades, or hoping that Patrick Williams makes a leap into the type of defensive player that they think he can be. That they need to get more guys that can play on both sides of the ball. They have the offense, and when those two, when Lonzo and Caruso are healthy, they their defense is pretty respectable. But it, your, your defense being good or bad can't be tied up in two guys.
1: What do you think about? where Zach Levine will play his basketball next year?
2: I think he is going to still be in Chicago. Okay. I understand why all of this stuff is out there. I mean, you have to remember that he's rep by Clutch, which is obviously one of the most powerful agencies in the NBA. And he, I, I, I totally get why a lot of Bulls fans saw his comments at exit interviews. But... And, you know, and took them kind of the way that they took them. But I don't understand what clutch would have been accomplishing by having Zach go out there and say, yeah, I want to play here. No matter what, I'm even willing to take a hometown discount. They right. are trying to just make it clear. And that's where all, of the, and that's where all these rumors, I can tell you from, I mean, I don't want to get too much into this because it's you know been out there for a week and I don't think there's much to it, but I can tell you from Portland standpoint, as somebody who's close to that, I don't even think Port, that, that Zach is somebody that they're looking at. He doesn't really fit like what they need, what they're looking for. But, you're going to see between now and the start of free agency in July, all kinds of different teams floated out there as, oh, well, they could have interest in Zach Levine or he could be looking there. This, I think a lot of that is just trying to make sure that the front office knows that if they don't offer him the full max, that there are other places he could look and he will have other options. But I believe that ultimately they're going to offer him the five-year max and he's going to sign it.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's good to hear. I'm talking with Sean Hyken. You can check him out on Twitter at Hyken. He reports for Bleacher Report. The NBA playoffs have been really weird, Sean. Like, it's been strange where there have been these wonderful moments. Like, you have Steph and Draymond dancing to whoop that trick in Memphis, you know, after they're getting blown out. But it's felt like a a bunch of series where – there's been no real close games. I know there've been a couple, but it's felt like every game's a blowout lately. How would you describe this year's playoffs?
2: It's been interesting. It feel it feels like a lot there's just a lot of kind of negative energy around these playoffs, whether it be, you know, the amount of attention that there's been on the officiating or some of the stuff in the Memphis Golden State series where, you know, the different flagrant fouls and different ejections and suspensions and team guys going back and forth about who's a dirty player and who's not. And then, you know, the Suns get eliminated and now all anybody's talking about is like Patrick Beverley going on that first take talking about how Chris Paul is a choker or whatever. Like, it feels like there's a lot of that going on just around the lead right now, which has made it kind of I've actually me personally I've like made a concerted effort to not be on Twitter while I'm watching games and it's made the experience so much more enjoyable for me to just not constantly be seeing just whatever the controversy is at the at that exact moment just like while I'm watching the game I think that once these teams get healthier these series are going to get a little bit more competitive, literally just seconds ago. While I'm, while we're on the air, they just announced that Al Horford has been cleared to play for the Celtics after being in health and safety protocols. And Marcus smart, I think is also playing tonight. So hopefully that game, game two of that series tonight will be closer. I think Dallas is, you know they got blown out last night by uh, Golden State. I think they're going to be better in the next game because they've usually been able to adjust so far in the playoffs. But I agree with you; it's been kind of a weird experience watching the playoffs this year.
1: I'm I'm with you on I I, I got to try that now. Like I'm trying to watch the playoffs without being on Twitter, I have to do the radio show while being on Twitter. And this just crossed my guy. Shout out to my guy Slavko. He retweeted a a Sean Devaney report that. The Bulls have interest in trading for 76ers forward Matisse Thybul. Does
2: that make any sense to you? Okay. I mean, they need more players who are good defenders. I I understand why that's something they would look at. I haven't sat down. You're just throwing that at me right now while I'm on the air. My bad. I can't like. <laughs> no, no, no. I got no. This is, this is that. That's interesting <laughs> to me though. I haven't. I, have, I haven't, I kind of obviously, since I just heard about that right now, I haven't sat down and done the math on like what the trade would look like or what they could offer or what makes sense to offer. But, yeah, the, those types of guys make sense as who they want to target. I would be interested to know, though, whether he heard that from somebody with the Bulls or from somebody with another team because one thing – that we can kind of gather about this front office since they took over a couple of years ago is that stuff doesn't really get out with them. Like when they traded for Vucevic at the deadline of, uh, last season, there wasn't even a rumor that the Bulls were interested in Vucevic or that they were talking to Orlando until the trade was done. So, like, they're one of the, like, there are some front offices where, like, you know, months in advance, this is who they're targeting, this is who they like, these are the talks that they're having. The bull kinda operate in silence. So anytime something gets out there about something that they're doing, at least with this front office, maybe with the previous front office, it was a little bit more, you know, you would be a little bit easier to like get information about what they were doing because there were a little bit more leaks going on. But if this is out there this far in advance of free agency or the draft, I tend to think it's probably something that's not going to happen because they don't really let stuff get out that they're actually gonna do.
1: Sean, as always, I appreciate you jumping on the show. I, I love that even though you aren't physically in Chicago, you're doing a great job of keeping tabs of what's going on with the Bulls. I mean, no, I know now you're physically in Chicago, but I mean you're not stationed here anymore. But I'm I, actually
2: I, technically not in Chicago at the moment. I'm actually out in the suburbs where Cody's getting married tomorrow.
1: That's right, because because everyone's got to celebrate. Like, just make sure. Look, I'm I'm his his stand-in for our softball team. So <laughs> so look. I got my experience of a playing shortstop and it went well. Let's get Cody healthy so that they can put me back in right field where I belong. So don't that let good to me, man. Don't let him do all crazy stuff on the dance floor and stuff. Like just be like, hey, hey, Cody, you have responsibilities to the Odyssey softball team. I get that you're excited that you're married, but the alternative is having a forty seven year old man play shortstop. It's not a good idea. So just keep
2: that in the back. Well, of you had like some major. Well, well you had like some. You went to like some major league tryout camps at one point in your life, right? So
1: yes, but that was twenty five years ago, Sean. Like okay, legit twenty five years.
2: Experience then.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying that we got away with it on Monday. I'm not sure how much longer we can get away with it. Here's hoping that Cody gets better. I hope you have a wonderful time at the wedding, man. It, it looks like it's going to be a blast. Enjoy yourself, man. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Yeah, you too, man. Always good to talk to you.
1: That's Sean Hyken. He's great. Yeah, Ray, we can't have anything happen to Cody again. It's problematic. Put me out where I belong. In right field. Take a break. Back after this on The Score.
2: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station.
1: When I was a kid, college football really wasn't that big a deal for me. When I got to be, I would say, like maybe 14 or 15, that was when Florida State was in its heyday, and I kind of drifted towards being a Florida State fan, and then I thought I was going to go to University of Michigan, so was kind of a University of Michigan fan, and then I ended up going to DePaul that hasn't played football since 1939, and I didn't really have that. So when I went to grad school, when I started my classes back in 2017, ended up choosing Alabama for different reasons than the football team, and then spending time in Tuscaloosa and going there and going to games. I've become a a really big, like, crazy meatbally fan. I don't want you to think, though, that because of that, that I will drink any amount of Kool-Aid that flows out of Tuscaloosa. The situations that we find these coaches in right now is one where they are losing power and they're struggling to figure out how to hold on to it. And in some cases we are seeing them lash out at each other. And my fear is that, that this will end up in a, a far too harsh of a correction on where we are right now with name, image, and likeness. I just think that forever, college football coaches have asked players to adapt in game from week to week to their environment, to the league, to the way the game itself changes. They have not done a good job of asking themselves to adapt to the world and how it changes. They usually take their ball and they go home a new world and if you're as great as you say you are you need to adjust to it the rabbit's got the gun now you've had it for a hundred years we'll talk with parkinson spiegel next here on the score
0: <sighs> spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact